Happy Friday, everybody. It's Friday, September 29th, 2023. This is the Second Half Podcast. I'm Tom Powell, and as always, if you're listening to this, that means you made it through another week, and margaritas are in order. Why should you get margaritas this week? Well, because today, September 29th, is one of my daughter's 19th birthday. Lily Marie Powell was born on September 29th, 2004, and this is her last birthday as a teenager. It's hard to believe that in one year from today, she will be 20 years old. It's hard to believe that I have four kids the ages that they are, because today is Lily's 19th birthday, and in November, my daughter Ashley will turn 34. And then in December, my son Tommy will turn 12, which means at that point in time, as of December 1st of this year, I will have a 34-year-old, a 22-year-old, a 19-year-old, and a 12-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. Spreading it out. Touching all the generations. Uh, Okay, before we get into the podcast, let's do a little bit of housekeeping like I do every week. Uh, It's predominantly for the people that are finding me for the very first time. Um, You know what? Fuck that shit. We're not going to do the housekeeping anymore. I'm just going to tell you guys, if you can, swing by the website, which is Old Hippie Media. Uh, That's Old Hippie, H-I-P-P-I-E, media.com. There you're going to find links and where you can follow me on all the various social media sites, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all of it. You're going to find a link on where you can buy my first two books, a link on where you can get to my merch store. Uh, You're going to find links on how you can send me things, support me generally, links on where you can hear me on other podcasts that I've appeared on, so forth and so on. Now, if you've been listening to my podcast for any period of time, you're probably going, why is he not doing the... The uh, the housekeeping for the people that have uh, that are finding the podcast for the first time. I'm changing things up a bit. Um, I have been working on a new outline for my other podcast on Patreon, which we're going to discuss at the end of this episode. Okay, so stick around for information about that. And while the the layout for this podcast is going to stay the same, it's going to be me discussing politics. And during the football season, obviously football, I'm working on new intros for both podcasts. This podcast is going to remain the second half podcast. The the logo is going to stay the same. The imagery is going to stay the same. But I'm working on a professional intro for the podcast as well as an outro for the podcast. And uh, the same for for the Patreon podcast. So uh, some of the things that you hear in the intro, uh, specifically my voice are going to be done away with. There's going to be, uh, hopefully, I, I believe it's going to happen, there's going to be a professional voiceover intro uh, for for the podcast. And so the intro to this is going to change a little bit. You're going to hear some of the same things that you normally hear, but it's going to be, it's going to be in a different format. It's going to be from a different person, and it's going to be a little bit more professional. And I think in the process of doing that, we're going to cut out the... the uh, the housekeeping for the people that have found us for the first time. So uh, you'll know it when you hear it because you're gonna you're gonna tune in one week and it's just gonna be different intro. 
uh, and hopefully you guys like it. Uh, what the person I'm planning on working with, the person who I've been conversing with, does a lot of podcast intros and outros, and he does them very well. So I'm actually uh, kind of looking forward to seeing how this uh, turns out. So once again, head over to the uh, the website oldhippymedia.com. Check out all the information there. Make sure you hit every page. Take a look up and down at all the stuff. You'll see the newspaper articles I've appeared on, uh, so forth and so on. And uh, uh, with that being said, we're going to go ahead and get into this week's news, which, as always, during the football season, starts with football. Last week, I've had my best week in a minute. <laughs> I went 9-6. and six. Which brings my season record to, drum roll please, 23 and 22. Folks, I am rolling. I don't have a lot of notes from last week. I'm not going to make the football segment very long. This is really meant to just give you this week's picks. But <clears throat> I talk about my Colts and I talk about the Chicago Bears because I'm a Colts fan and I live in the Chicagoland area and I'm surrounded by Bears fans. And then I talk about anything that's uh, noteworthy outside of those two teams from last week. And I think the most noteworthy thing to talk about from last week's games is the, uh, the fact that the Dolphins hung 70 on the Broncos. 70. That is fucking insane. I couldn't do that on a fucking video game. The Dolphins did it in real life. Now, I think there was a little bit of a revenge factor there. The very young, very new head coach for the Dolphins was once a ball boy for his hometown, Denver Broncos. And when the Denver Broncos were looking to hire a coach, they had an opportunity to hire him, and they passed. And so he wound up in Miami with the Dolphins. And so I think he wanted to show his old team, the Broncos, just exactly what they passed up, and I believe he did it in stellar fashion by, uh, by, by putting 70 on them. I mean, he just stood on the gas pedal and was relentless. The Bears, of course, lost. I mean, they were 0-2, playing like absolute dog shit, and heading into Kansas City against the Super Bowl champs, the defending Super Bowl champs. So you knew that there was no way in hell they were going to pull that one out of their ass. So Chicago is now 0-3, last in their division, and the team is discussing whether or not to bench their starting quarterback that they traded up in the draft again. It is really fucking bad in Chicago, folks. I mean, really bad. The defensive coordinator abruptly quit. The, 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 the quarterback can't throw a downfield pass. The play calling is absolutely atrocious. Uh, I, I think there was an incident recently where the entire grounds crew disappeared and nobody could find them. I mean, it, it is bizarre what's happening in the world of the Chicago Bears football, but they are falling apart at mock speed. And next week, the Denver Broncos head to Chicago to play the Bears. The Broncos, 0-3 just had 70 points put on him by the Dolphins. Chicago, 0-3, can't get out of their own fucking way. This is probably going to be the worst football game in the history of football. It's going to be, well, let's just, it's going to be either the worst football game in the history of football, or it's going to be an unexpected blowout barn burner with each team scoring 100 points because both of their defense suck balls. As far as my Colts go, they surprisingly won, making them 2-1 and, and 
alone at the top of their division. I did not think my Colts would be leading their division alone by week three. But here we are, and I'm pleasantly surprised. Now, my starting quarterback, the young quarterback, did not play this past week because he's still injured. So Gardner Menchu came in and did admirably leading them to a victory, and uh, I'm hoping that that's not creating some type of quarterback controversy within Indianapolis, but I'm happy with the results so far. All right, having said all of that, let me go ahead and give you my week four winners. Of course, this is without the the, uh, Thursday night game. Uh, My week four winners are the Falcons, the Bills, the Vikings, yes, I think the Vikings are finally going to get a win. They're too good to be 0-3. I think the Broncos are going to come into Chicago and uh, beat the Bears, which is just going to be horrendous for the Bears. So I'm going to pick the Broncos, the Browns, the Steelers, the Colts, the Bucks, the Eagles, the Bengals, the Chargers, the Cowboys, the 49ers, the Chiefs, and the Giants. Hang on one second, if you don't mind. Uh because I think I just messed something up there. I hope I don't have to start this podcast all over again or figure out a way to go ahead and blow it off. Okay, no. I I thought for a minute there that I might have given you my Thursday night pick. And I always have an opinion on who's going to win the Thursday night game, but I don't pick the Thursday night game because, um, you know, the, the podcast airs on Friday, but... Damn, the, the the Dolphins did well, didn't they? Did well. 34-20, to 20, they beat the Green Bay Packers in Green Bay. The Lions, did I say the Dolphins? The, Li- the Lions are doing really, really well. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Lions win that division now. I mean, they are just rolling. It's, it's really a remarkable thing to see. And, and if, if I'm being completely honest with you, if there's a city that's due for a winning team, it's Detroit. They haven't had a winning team, like, forever. So, good on you, Detroit. You guys deserve this. Hopefully your team continues to win. Now, before we move off of the topic of football, I do have one other football-related story that I want to talk about, and that is that Usher has been named as the Super Bowl halftime performer for this year's Super Bowl. And, listen, it's... I. Every fucking year we have this conversation, and every fucking year I get more and more upset with the NFL. It is not that I don't like Usher. It's not that I don't like the style of music that he plays. It's not that I don't like all of the other styles of music outside of rock and roll. I like rap. I like hip-hop. I like a little bit of country. I like blues. I like some jazz. But two things. When was his last hit, and are we just done with rock and roll? I mean, I went and looked at Usher's last hit. Good Good went to number 58 this year. That's as far as it got, 58 on the charts. Last year, his song Good Love peaked at 70. So when was the last time this guy had a major hit? A few years ago? you telling me that we're putting people in that haven't had a hit in a few years? And when it comes to rock and roll, dude, just sprinkle some in. 
We can have hip-hop groups and rap groups and country groups and rock and roll groups, but we got to sprinkle some in. And the NFL is fucking this up year after year because they're going to allow these, these bands, some of which are getting older and aren't going to be around forever, to never play the Super Bowl. And we've, we've already fucked it up with uh, uh, ZZ Top. ZZ Top would have made a great halftime show. They are a, a tremendous live performing act. Dusty's now dead. You're never going to have the original ZZ Top lineup. That's done forever. You want to know some bands that have not played the Super Bowl halftime show yet and probably should have? Here, I'll give you some bands. The Foo Fighters have never played the Super Bowl halftime show. I would much rather see the Foo Fighters in there than Usher. How about Elton John? Could we maybe get Elton John to do a a Super Bowl halftime show before his time on this planet has passed? Bon Jovi's never played the Super Bowl halftime show. ACDC has never played the Super Bowl halftime show. Metallica has never played the Super Bowl halftime show. Billy Joel has never played the Super Bowl halftime show. Pearl Jam has never played the halftime show. Can we sprinkle some fucking rock and roll in once in a while? You know... The, the, the Super Bowl in L.A. with uh, Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre, I love all of those acts. I thought that that was one of the worst halftime shows ever put on. The, the, the setting, the, 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 the visual of it was just horrendous. I love all the songs that were performed. I, I have all of those songs on my phone, and I listen to them. I love all of the acts that were there. But it seems like every year we just figure out a way to not include rock and roll. How about one-year rock, one-year hip-hop slash rap? One-year rock, one-year hip-hop. One-year rock, one-year... Can we fucking sprinkle some rock back in? I mean, for the love of Pete. And it's once again, it is not just that I am like, we just need some fucking rock and roll, goddammit. Not by any... Bruno Mars, I think, put on one of the best halftime shows of my lifetime. Dude killed it. I'm just saying, we're going to... We're going to lose these bands. ACDC is not going to be around forever. Elton John is not going to be around forever. Billy Joel is not going to be around forever. These are major acts that should be doing the halftime show from time to time. It's just my own two cents. All right, now let's move on to the political news of the week, which is what we're here to primarily discuss. And we're going to start with Joe Biden, uh, Joe Biden standing on a picket line while Trump visiting uh, visits a non-union plant in the wake of the UAW strike. Uh, I'm going to read to you first from NBC News. President Joe Biden made history Tuesday when he visited a picket line in Michigan in a show of loyalty to auto workers who are striking for higher wages and cost of living increases. Biden, who is looking to polish his pro-labor persona, is the first sitting president to appear on a picket line. Speaking through a bullhorn, he told the striking work, uh, auto workers in Wayne County, you deserve what you earned, and you've earned a hell of a lot more than you're getting paid now. A reporter asked Biden whether he endorsed the union's demand for a 40% wage increase over four years. Union workers standing near him said yes, and he responded the same way, according to a media pool reporter. The answer seemed a departure from the White House's position that it would stay out of the negotiations and leave the specifics to the union and management. Later in the day, the White House released a transcript quoting Biden as saying, yes, I think they should be able to bargain for that. The statement is more aligned with the White House past position on the negotiations 
simply by showing up, Biden set a precedent for American presidents about how to respond to future strikes. Union officials and their congressional allies may now expect a president who purports to be pro-labor to join them on picket lines, invoking Biden as an example. It is indeed a historic move on Biden's part to walk a picket line, especially in a, as high-profile a profile a strike that is captivating both the economy and broader public attention, said an assistant professor of history at Cornell University's Industrial and Labor Relations School, and I cannot pronounce the gentleman's name. The first name is spelled T-E-J-A-S-V-I, last name N-A-G-A-R-A-J-A. And I'm not even going to try to pronounce that because I don't want to butcher anybody's last name as badly as I will butcher that last name. The United Auto Workers strike against the big three auto companies, General Motors, Ford, and Chrysler, uh, has entered its 11th day in traveling to Wayne County at the invitation of Union President Sean Fain. Biden positioned himself squarely on the side of striking workers after the White House spent weeks quietly seeing whether it could play a more neutral role in mediating the dispute. On the other hand, Trump went to go speak to auto workers in Michigan but went to a non-union shop and addressed them as if they were union employees. I'm now going to read to you from the Michigan Advance. A day after President Joe Biden joined striking United Auto Workers on the picket line in Michigan alongside UAW President Sean Fain, the labor leader says he has no intention of meeting with former President Donald Trump when he speaks Wednesday at a non-union automotive parts manufacturer and supplier in Macomb County. Fain speaking Tuesday on CNN's The Situation Room with Wolf Blitzer, said he saw no reason to meet the GOP former president who was running again in 2024. Quote, I don't think the man has any bit of care about our workers, or about what our workers stand for, what the working class stand for. He serves the billionaire class, and that's what's wrong with this country. When Blitzer suggested that Fain was effectively endorsing Biden, the UAW president said that was not the case. It's not an endorsement of anyone, he told Blitzer. It's just flat out how I view the former president. The UAW has not made an endorsement in the 2024 presidential election. Fain was by Biden's sign Tuesday when, he, when the president arrived at Detroit Metro Airport and addressed picketers from UAW Local 174 at the Willow Run Redistribution Center in Metro Detroit, which has been reported that it was the first time in modern history that a sitting president has visited an active strike, as we said from the earlier article. So the stark difference here, and what needs to be pointed out, is that Joe Biden is a pro-union president. He has been pro-union his entire life. Democrats are pro-union. And the Republicans have been anti-union, and Trump is trying to play it off. It, it, it's what Trump is trying to do is make it seem like he gives a shit about the working man, but but he doesn't. He really doesn't. And I'm trying to be I'm trying to be judicious when I say this, 
what blows my mind the most about union workers from a local standpoint here where I live is I see a lot of proud union homes, uh, proud union home signs in front of uh, homes in my community. I live in a very blue-collar community where you go into various neighborhoods and you're going to see a lot of, like, work vans and work trucks with with company lettering on it parked in driveways because we've got a lot of blue-collar folks in this town that get dirty for a living, and, and a lot of them are union members. And, and so they show their, their proud union support with, with their signage, they show their proud union support by not crossing picket lines. They show their proud union support by backing the union almost always. And then they turn around and vote Republican. And it makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense why somebody who's pro-union would continue to support candidates that are anti-union. That that are they're voting against their best best interest. Fain went on to blast Trump's choice of location for his visit, saying it should be made it should make clear that he isn't a friend of union labor. Let me read this quote to you. Quote I found the pathetic irony that the former president is going to hold a rally for non or for union members at a non union business. His track record speaks for itself. In 2008, during the Great Recession, he blamed UAW members. He blamed our contracts for everything that was wrong with these companies. It's a complete lie. That's what Fain said. The Biden campaign has released a 30-second ad in Michigan hitting Trump on his record with auto workers ahead of Trump's visit, which, once again, happened on Wednesday and was at a non-union plant. And he was saying to the crowd... I hope you guys get what you're what you're fighting for. They're not fighting for anything. They're not UAW members. They are a non-union plant. I couldn't help but notice, though, Donnie, you didn't have the balls to show up and actually talk to fucking union members. For two fucking reasons would be my guess. One, you don't have any fucking balls. And two, those union members would let you know just what a piece of shit you are. In Biden's ad, it says that the narrator says he as he says he stands with auto workers, but as president, Donald Trump passed tax breaks for his rich friends while automakers shuttered their plants and Michigan lost manufacturing jobs. Manufacturing manufacturing is coming back to Michigan because Joe Biden doesn't just talk; he delivers. And right now, Donald Trump is on his truth social uh, truth social. Uh, social media site saying that if he's not elected president in 2024, the United Auto Workers is done. They're, 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 we're not going to be making cars in this country anymore because Joe Biden just wants all electric cars and 100% electric cars are going to be made in, uh, in China. And if you don't elect me, that's the end of the auto industry in the United States of America. What the fuck are you talking about, man? This past week was a glaring indicator of which presidential candidate stands with the working class of this country and which candidate doesn't. 
which candidate stands with union members being able to collectively bargain uh, bargain for themselves and get a better deal for themselves and thus a, have a ripple effect on the rest of the economy within that industry, and which presidential candidate says, yeah, fuck those guys, we're going to go over here and we're going to talk to these non-union guys. And it's not like the guys in the plant that, Joe, that, that, that Donald Trump visited don't work hard and aren't valuable, but they're not union. And he's playing it off as if he supports the union by visiting a non-union plant. Listen to me, okay? And, and I know I've got some friends that are, that are union members that listen to this podcast, some local friends that are union members that listen to this podcast. And I know that you guys vehemently support the union. If you truly do support union workers, if you truly do support collective bargaining rights, if you truly do support the protection that comes with union membership, you cannot vote for Donald Trump. You can't vote for any of the Republican candidates. That is literally voting against what you claim to hold dear. It just blows my mind that anybody that's in the union, that is that deep into the union, that is that proud of the union, would ever vote for a Republican. They are a union-busting party. They don't give a fuck about labor. They don't. They don't. They never have, and they never fucking will. And to show you they don't even give a fuck about the American economy, we are still steamrolling towards a government shutdown at the end of this week, and there is no plan in sight from the Republicans. None. I'm going to read to you now from Reuters. The Democratic-led Senate forged ahead on Thursday with a bipartisan stopgap funding bill aiming, uh, aimed at averting a fourth partial government shutdown in a decade, while the House prepared to vote on a partisan Republican spending bill with no chance of becoming a law. The divergent paths of the two chambers appear to increase the odds of a federal, uh, that the federal agencies will run out of money on Sunday, furloughing hundreds of thousands of federal workers and halting a wide range of services from economic data releases to nutrition benefits. The Senate voted 76 to 22 to open debate on a stopgap bill known as a Continuing Resolution, or CR, which would extend federal spending until November 17th and authorize roughly $6 billion each for domestic disaster responses, uh, response funding and aid to Ukraine to defend itself against Russia. 76 to 22 was the vote. There are only 52 Democratic senators in the Senate, which means a bunch of Republicans voted for this. The Senate measure has already been rejected by Republicans who control the House of Representatives. The House panel, uh, House plan late night votes on four partisan appropriation bills that would not alone prevent the shutdown, even if they could overcome strong opposition from Democrats and become law. House Republicans, led by a small faction of hardline conservatives in the chamber they control by a two, uh, 221 to 212 margin, have rejected spending levels for fiscal year 2024, set in a deal Speaker McCarthy negotiated with Biden in May. So let me just make sure you understand what that means. That means the leader of the Republican caucus in the House of Representatives, 
struck a deal in May with Joe Biden on the budget. And the rank-and-file members, the hard hardcore right-wing members of the House of Representatives said, fuck you, we're not passing that. I don't give a shit what deal you passed. The agreement included $1.59 trillion in discretionary spending for fiscal year 2024. House Republicans are demanding another $120 billion in cuts, plus tougher legislation that would stop the flow of immigration at the U.S. southern border with Mexico. The funding fight focuses on a relatively small slice of the $6.4 trillion U.S. budget for fiscal year. Lawmakers are not considering cuts to popular benefit programs such as Social Security and Medicare. Because when you call that shit out publicly, then things get real fucking ugly. McCarthy is facing intense pressure from his caucus to achieve their goals. Several hardliners have threatened to oust him from his leadership role if he passes a spending bill that requires any Democratic votes to pass. That's what the Republicans give a shit about. If we pass a budget to keep the federal government open and you do it with a single Democratic vote in the House of Representatives, then we're going to remove you from Speaker. Not... Is this bill good for the American people? Not is this bill going to keep people working? Not is this bill going to keep governmental services going? But are you going to use Democratic votes to get the bill passed? Because if you do, you're done. That's what they give a shit about. They give a shit about W's and L's, not the American people. Former President Donald Trump has taken to social media to push his congressional allies towards a shutdown. McCarthy, for his part, suggested on Thursday that a shutdown could be avoided if Senate Democrats agreed to address border issues in their stopgap measure. Once again, trying to deflect blame. Quote, I talked this morning to some Democratic senators over there that are more aligned with what we want to do. They want to do something about the border, McCarthy told reporters in the U.S. Capitol. We're trying to work to see, could we put some border provisions in that current Senate bill that would actually make things a lot better, he said. Here's the deal, though. Joe Biden already asked for, for money for three different facets. He asked for money for Maui aid, which, by the way, we still don't have a fucking Maui aid package out of the Republicans. Still don't. They've been back in session for three weeks. We haven't even talked about that in the House of Representatives. He asked for money for Maui, he asked for more money for uh, Ukraine, and he asked for money for border security. And the Republicans have told him to go fuck himself. Now they're saying, if only the Democrats would give us something on the border, we could avert a crisis. Hey, how about you just fucking fund the government? It's your job. Every single fucking shutdown in the last, what, two decades has happened under Republican control. And here we are on the doorstep of another one. CNN is reporting that tensions erupted as House Republicans met behind closed doors on Thursday, the latest sign of deep division and infighting as the House GOP conference has failed to coalesce around a plan to avert a shutdown. Representative Matt Gates and Speaker McCarthy got into a testy exchange during the meeting, according to a source in the room. Gates stood up and confronted McCarthy about whether his allies were paying conservative influencers to bash Gates in social media posts and allegations circulating on social media and one the Speaker's office has denied. It, that's what I'm talking about, guys. We're, we're talking about a meeting about whether or not they're going to be able to keep the fucking government open, funded, and operating. And Matt Gates is concerned 
that McCarthy is paying conservative influencers to bash him on social media. Are you fucking kidding me? This is where we're fucking at with the Republicans. This is where we're at. McCarthy's response, according to the source in the room, was that he wouldn't waste his time or money on Gates. Another source said McCarthy also shot back that he doesn't know what Gates is spending time on, but the Speaker is donating $5 million to help keep the majority. Quote, I asked him whether or not he was paying those influencers to post negative things about me online, Gates told CNN's Manu Raji, and confirmed that McCarthy said he wouldn't waste time on him. McCarthy and Gates have long had a tense relationship, and Gates has led uh, the charge in threatening to force a vote to oust the Speaker as pressure on McCarthy builds during the shutdown spending fight and hardline conservatives balk at the prospect of passing any kind of short-term funding extension to keep the government open. After the exchange, members in the room could be heard complaining about Gates, with one member calling him a scumbag and another saying, fuck off, according to a third source in the room. Matt Gates is not a liked human being, but here's the problem. Matt Gates was the vote that uh, McCarthy needed to become Speaker on his, whatever it was, 13th fucking vote to become Speaker. And what Mike, or, or Mike, what Kevin McCarthy gave up, the promise he made in order to get those votes was he was going to agree to impeach Joe Biden or at least look into impeaching Joe Biden and he agreed to allow his own caucus to remove him from the speakership role by a simple majority vote if they didn't like Anything he did, for any fucking reason, they could hold a vote any time to remove him as Speaker of the House. Do you know what happens if the Republicans remove Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House? The government doesn't function. We can't pass anything. We can't do anything. You need a Speaker of the House. By law, that's, that's why nothing could happen until the vote was finalized to make him Speaker of the House. Without a Speaker of the House, nothing moves in the House of Representatives. And if nothing moves in the House of Representatives, nothing gets paid for because that's where the fucking money comes from. The main role of the House of Representatives is to appropriate money for spending. That's who says that we, we're going to... The House is who says we're going to spend money for this, we're going to spend money for this, we're going to spend money for that. The Senate, their main role is confirming judges. I mean, they both, both chambers have more roles than that. This is a simplistic way of putting it. But... That's what the House does. They pay for things. They appropriate money. They budget things. And they can't do it without the Speaker of the House. It, it, by law, they can't. So it took them 13 fucking votes to get Speaker McCarthy in. And now they want to remove him if he gets a single Democratic vote for the budget. It seems to me like they would want to bring everybody together to come to a consensus on a budget so that the government can keep going. But if we get a consensus, then the Republicans are pissed, and that's it. We're shutting this thing down, we're going to remove you as Speaker, and we're going to fucking gridlock our entire nation for as long as we want. Because do you think they're going to just hold another fucking vote and have another Speaker? No. It is stunning to me that our nation keeps getting held hostage over and over and over again by the Republican Party because they're not getting the most extreme things that they want done. 
piss poor leadership. That's what the Republican Party offers. Piss poor leadership. And who's at the top of the, the Republican Party leadership pyramid? The orange shit goblin, goblin himself, Donald Trump. And what happened to Donald Trump this week? Well, my man got fucked. The Trump organization has been ordered to dissolve in New York. I'm going to read to you now from The Messenger. A New York judge on Tuesday canceled the certificates of the key businesses behind Donald Trump's empire, ordering a quick timeline to dissolve the Trump organization and other corporate entities. Manhattan Supreme Court Justice Arthur Engeron's blockbuster ruling found that the former president and his business leaders failed to correct course after being warned of a propensity to engage in persistent fraud. That's a quote, by the way. The 10 corporate entities named in the lawsuit are the Donald J. Trump Revocable Trust, the Trump Organization Incorporated, the Trump Organization LLC, Donald J. Trump Holdings LLC, Donald J. Trump Holdings Management Member LLC, Trump Endeavor 12 LLC, 401 North Wabash Venture LLC, Trump Post Office LLC, 40 Wall Street LLC, and Seven Springs LLC, all of whose certificates must be canceled under New York's general business law. The same fate awaits any New York entity, quote, controlled or beneficially owned by Donald J. Trump, Don Trump Jr., Eric Trump, Alan Weisselberg, who was the CFO of the Trump Organization, and Jeffrey McConney, a lawyer. They're not fucking around in New York. None of these people can do business in New York right now. Legal experts call the extraordinarily rare punishment the corporate death penalty. Trump's attorney, Alina Habba, vowed to appeal the decision, which she called fundamentally flawed at every level. Quote, the fact that this court summarily found that there is no question of fact, finding in part that Mar-a-Lago is worth approximately $20 million and issues a decision of this magnitude is an affront to our legal system, Haba told the messenger. We intend to immediately appeal, appeal this decision because President Trump and his family, like every American business owner, is entitled to their day in court. Motherfucker, they, they, excuse me, they had their day in court. They were found liable of fraud, and this is the end result of it. They were found liable months ago in New York for fraud, and now the judge is saying, okay, as a result of that, this is what's going to happen. You guys are going to dissolve your business in New York, and you're going to go fucking do business somewhere else. <clears throat> Unless blocked by an appellate court within 10 days, the practical scope and reach of the decision will likely face fierce litigation by Trump's attorneys. The judge's ruling indicates the effort on his business empire could, I'm sorry, the effect on his business empire could be massive. Engeron's order is limited to the New York corporations under his purview. Trump may have out-of-state entities that control aspects of his key businesses, but the Trump organization is the umbrella entity behind hundreds of his companies, which financial disclosures indicate is owned by a trust. When the judge initially put Trump's business under court-imposed monitoring, he issued a separate order preventing the former president from shuffling his assets to a separate entity called Trump Organization II. 
The judge's order indicates that the ruling applies to key entities at the apex of its main corporation. Two of the companies named in the order, Donald J. Trump Holdings LLC and Donald J. Trump Holdings Management Member LLC, sit at the top of the organization's organizational chart and together own many of the Trump-affiliated entities that comprise the Trump Organization, the judge noted in his 35-page ruling. Donald J. Trump Holdings Management LLC owns 100% of the Trump Organization, and Donald J. Trump Holdings LLC owns 100% of the Trump Organization LLC, the order continues. The AG and the defendants must, quote, recommend the names of no more than three potential independent receivers to manage the dissolution of the companies within 10 days, according to the ruling. <clears throat> Former federal prosecutor Mitchell Eppner, Mitchell Eppner noted that rulings of this nature are extremely rare. The corporate death penalty is often considered but rarely imposed in New York, said Eppner, who is now a partner at Rottenberg Lippmann Rich PC. The Trump Organization is the umbrella corporate, uh, company comprising hundreds of companies owned by the former president, and under the order, a receiver would sell off its assets. The only thing that would stand in the way of what would be an order from the appellate division staying, uh, staying this order until its appeal... I'm sorry, let me read that again. The only thing that would stand in the way of that would be an order from the appellate division. I can't even read my own notes from time to time. <clears throat> the parties will likely wrangle over the scope of the ruling at a pretrial hearing scheduled for Wednesday. Engeron found that New York Attorney General Letitia James has proven her first fraud count without the need for a trial on that issue. Her lawsuit saw $250 million in damages and six other counts against Trump, his family, and his business associates, as well as uh, disgorgement of any ill-gotten gains from fraudulent conduct. The remaining counts will go before Engeron without a jury in a bench trial scheduled to begin Monday, October 2nd. That's what Trump is up against right now, folks. On, he's already been found liable of fraud in a prior case, and that the end result of that case is now him having to dissolve his companies within New York and sell off the assets. And, oh, yes, by the way, that means Trump Tower. Gonzo. Got to sell it. Got to put it down. Unless an appellate court steps in and says, no, he doesn't have to. And on Tuesday, his $250 million lawsuit begins in New York. He is not only going to have to shut his businesses down in New York and sell off his assets, he's going to have to pay the, 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 uh, the state of New York a minimum of $250 plus any ill-gotten gains from all of his fraudulent activity over the last decade. This dude is fucked in New York. Fucked. Excuse me. Now, I guarantee you, They are working feverishly to try and figure out how to run these companies from another state. But the order that was put in place when he was found liable of fraud prevents him from being able to do that. So he's literally going to have to start all over again. He's going to have to figure out a way to start this all over again from Florida. And I don't know that he's going to be able to. This is not a good thing. For the Trumps. This is not a good thing for Eric Trump. It's not a good thing for Don Jr. It's not a good thing for Weisselberg. Weisselberg isn't going to be able to work in New York anymore. These people are fucked. 
This is the find out portion of the fuck around and find out game. This is what happens when you think you can operate with impunity. This is what happens when people turn their head to all the shit you've done because you're a celebrity. But then you become president and you try to end the American experiment. This is the shit that happens. They start looking into your business. They start looking into your practices and they realize you're a lion sack of shit that's done nothing but commit fraud your entire fucking life. And now it's time to pay for that. We got 10 days to figure this thing out. And so by the time we meet again next week, we may have some more answers on this or we may begin to see Trump assets get sold off. This is huge, folks. Huge. And this is just the beginning. His criminal trials haven't even begun yet. The the $250 million trial is going to begin on Tuesday, which is going to cost him even more fucking money. And then as we get into the new year, boom, 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 boom. Criminal trial after criminal trial after criminal trial after criminal trial. This is not going to end well for Trump. Everybody kept saying for years, I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when I see it. Well, you're seeing it. You're seeing it. He has just been ordered to dissolve his company and sell its assets in New York. You are seeing it. $250 million lawsuit uh, trial, uh, that begins Tuesday. You're seeing it. The criminal trials are lined up. He can't get out of them. You're seeing it. It is happening. The downfall will be televised. Watch this space for more news on this uh, this incredible story. Now, on to some personal stuff. A couple of things. I want to talk about some personal stuff, and I want to talk about the upcoming uh, relaunch of my Patreon. First, some personal stuff. You guys may have seen a video that I did on TikTok earlier in the week in which I was breaking down. I was talking about everything that's going wrong in my life, and uh, I seemed rather distressed. Yes, I am. I, uh, I am rather distressed. I am uh, incapable of getting a decent night's sleep without having a, a nightmare. Um, last night was a weird nightmare. Last night I, I had a nightmare that I was, uh, I was in Linton, Indiana, which is the town I went to high school in, with my wife and our son. And for some reason... Um, our two nephews, my, my, my sister-in-law's sons were there and my son and I were walking around the town trying to figure out how to get back to where my wife was. And I couldn't figure out how to get back there. Now I know that town, like the back of my hand, I could probably walk it blindfolded. But in my dream, I couldn't figure out how to get back to where my wife was. And there was a parade going through town, and we got caught by the parade, and the sun started to go down. And then for some reason, my son and I got funneled onto a cruise ship. Now, keep in mind, Linton, Indiana is in the middle of cornfields in Indiana. There's no fucking water near it. But we got funneled onto a cruise ship where there was a massive party going on, and my cousin, Junior, who's dead showed up with my two nephews and was like yeah i don't it's gonna be okay it's gonna be okay and i kept freaking out going no i gotta get back to renee i gotta get back to renee i need to get off the ship and i couldn't figure out where the ship was going i couldn't figure out how to get off the ship i could not figure out how to get back to my wife those are the kind of nightmares i'm having 
you tell me what that means. Um, I was dealing with some issues as far as my technical idiocy. I couldn't figure out how to get some things done that I needed to get done for, for this Patreon project. We finally got past that part. I think we got that part figured out. But I was feeling extraordinarily inferior that I couldn't even figure out what I needed to figure out to make something simplistic work. I've got the lack of sleep going on. There's, We're heading into harvest, so we're hoping that the work is going to pick up for our trucks. But, I mean, we are dying in the water right now with our trucks. We are fucking drowning with our trucking company, and we're, we're, we're banking on, on harvest being a good harvest. Obviously, there's still the issues with my wife's employment, the company that she works for, I, which... Man, I am trying. I really am trying with my wife's company. I I know she probably doesn't think that I'm trying. I am trying. And my fear is that the only thing that's going to make it better is her not working for that fucking company anymore, which isn't an option right now. We need to figure something out. And, I, you know, believe me, I look for new jobs for her literally every fucking single day. And... and and I just don't know what the end result is that is that's going to be. Uh, we're we're actually waiting on hopefully some type of answers that might make things a little bit better today. But we'll see if that actually materializes um, with this company. What is said is going to happen is very rarely what actually happens. And then of course we've got the health stuff. If you guys are unaware, or, or if you don't watch me on various social media platforms. Um, my PSA, uh, PSA is elevated. Uh, your PSA is the level that your urologist checks to determine how likely you are or if you do have prostate cancer. So my PSA was checked two years ago, and it came in at 0.966. It was checked again last week in a routine follow-up visit, and it came in at 3.76. So the doc said, I'm going to see you again in six months. We're going to do this PSA test again, see if it rose again. And then I started reading, which is usually a bad thing. Because when I get hyper-focused on something, I can absorb a fuck ton of material. And I read every prostate cancer article you could possibly fucking imagine from every cancer research site all the way up to and including the Mayo Clinic. And, and, and everything I read said that if your PSA increases by 0.7 a year, that is considered a very high increase and a likely indicator that you have prostate cancer. So my mind started racing, and it's been racing ever since. I'll make funny videos, I'll have normal conversations with people, my wife included, and in the back of my mind, I am constantly thinking, I got cancer in my body right now. I, like, my mind, at least 30 times a day now, goes to, we need to get me into the hospital right fucking now and get this shit out of me. We need to get this into the hospital, get me into the hospital right fucking now and get this shit out of me. So I called the doc back and I said, I, I can't wait six months. So we're going to do it right before the holidays in a time frame that's going to allow me to have an answer on whether or not my PSA continued to rise or if 
something was just off with the last PSA count um, before the holidays because <laughs> if I had my choice, I would be in his office right fucking now with my arm out going, take more blood right now. You, you need to do an exam, a rectal exam? Let's go. Let's do it. I, I need to know. I am, I am so stressed out with my wife's employment, with a lack of work, and now with this, that my mind is on a loop and I can't shut it off. I can't focus on a lot of the things that I need to focus on. I'm constantly trying to figure out how to get my wife out of her company, how to get more work for our company, and now how do I get this fucking cancer out of me? And I don't even know that I have cancer. I just know that I am freaked the fuck out that I do. And so... Here's the thing. I'm an extraordinarily bad patient, but when it comes to shit like this, if the doctor said to me today, I need to get you into the hospital, we need to cut you open, and we need to get something out of you, I would be like, where's the fucking gown? Let's go. Let's fucking go. And my fear is, and I know that it is an outlandish fear, But it it resides in my head all the time. Something's going to happen to me while she's out of town for work. Something's going to happen. Like a reverse situation with my cousin. My cousin died while out of town for work from a massive heart attack in his rental car on his way to the airport or his way back to his hotel. His wife couldn't get to him. They had to fly the body back down to Kentucky. Can you imagine the anguish that his wife felt in the days trying to get his body released from New York to get back to Kentucky? I can't even imagine it. And it's like, I don't know why, but I just know that that's what's going to happen. Not that I'm going to die, but something's going to happen. And she's going to be off in some fucking state somewhere else working. And and I need to figure out how to get that out of my head. So that deals with the video that I made on TikTok that people have been asking me about. Am I okay? No. Am I going to be okay? Yeah. How I get there? I don't know yet. I'm working on that. But I'm still here. I'm still kicking. I'm not going anywhere just yet. Now, on to the the Patreon. We're going to be relaunching Patreon next month, October. When I say next month, I mean October starts Sunday. But we're going to be doing, I am going to be doing two podcast episodes a month as well as posting other videos and images that are only going to be seen on Patreon. The podcast episodes are going to be me interviewing a guest. I already have 
somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 or 20 people that have agreed to be guests. And the first three interviews are already lined up. So the, the, the interviews for the episodes for October are already scheduled. The first interview for November is already scheduled. I'm waiting to hear back for, for the second interview from November. And I have a schedule that takes me all the way through to this time next year. I'm going to be plugging people in. So I'm going to be doing interview uh, podcasts that you're going to be able to hear only on Patreon. Now, for those of you unfamiliar with what Patreon is, it's a subscription service. And you you have different levels of subscription. So, for example, on my Patreon, there's an initial level called the How You Doing tier, which is $1 a month. That gets you access to the various pictures I'm going to post on Patreon that can only be seen on Patreon. The next level is called the 420 level, and that is $4.20 a month, and that's going to get you access to the images that I'm going to be posting on Patreon, like the like the $1 level, but also get you access to these podcasts. And then I'm working on the third level, which would be access to all of that content as well as you get something. I send you something. And I'm working on that potentially being the same campfire mugs that I like to give away that I can't sell on my merch store, uh, but with the new podcast logo on it. That podcast on Patreon is now going to be called Off Topic with Tom Powell. A new logo has been done for it, and merch will be available in my merch store sometime in the next two weeks. But if you're interested in hearing me interview people, and and no, this is not a political podcast. Like So for example, the first interview I have up is with a hospice nurse. I want to talk to somebody, I want to talk to her about her experience with end-of-life care and how she deals with loss and what happens to people at the end of their life. And and I, I wanted her to be first because I've always had a lot of misconceptions about the way people pass and specifically about the way my father passed. And, and, and so I wanted her to be first. So she's going to be up first. I have a school teacher uh, who's quite popular and developed a hell of a following from Canada who's going to be my second interview guest. I have a morning radio DJ who's going to be my third guest. And when we talk to these people, it's not going to be about politics. I mean, there might be some politics that gets sprinkled in with certain guests here or there, but like when I talk to the hospice nurse, it's going to be about end-of-life care. It's going to be about how we handle end-of-life care in this country, her experiences with it, what people need to know and how they need to to approach end-of-life care for their parents and their grandparents and themselves, for that matter. And and I'm, I'm interested in talking to people about their life and their experiences, not just what do you think about this political thing and what do you think about that political thing. So this is going to be a series of podcasts that are going to be me interviewing people about life in general. So uh, once again, you can hear all of that over on Patreon for $4.20. You can get to my Patreon through my website, oldhippymedia.com, or through the link in any one of my social media sites. Okay? All right. Having said that, that's all I got for you guys this week. Tune in next week for another episode of this podcast, which is going to remain free and on uh, Fridays. And until then, as always, stay grateful.